Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to this week's edition of Conversations with Z and Vin. And Z, we've been continuing our discussion from last week. Last week, we talked about opting out, the importance of opting out, some of the craziness that we're seeing in society. And we had this really interesting discussion about personal liberty, about the ways that there are more and more constraints on our ability to just live our lives, uh, to make individual decisions, uh, whether it's taxes, whether it's laws against collecting rainwater, whether it's various mandates. We're moving in strange directions. And a lot of the solution for that is this concept that we've that's really a foundation of our podcast, which is opting out, building a life that's meaningful to you, spending time with people that you care about, not doing what the herd does necessarily. At times you might, at times you might not, but really taking ownership of your life. Uh, this is our chance to exist. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Our life is basically meaningless for the rest of the world, but for us it's tremendously important. So why not take charge of it? If it's profound for us, Let's make our own decisions. Let's not outsource those decisions to people who really don't have our interests at heart, uh, nor should they. They've got their own lives to lead. So I thought last week's discussion was very cool, but coming out of that, there's still this question of how do we do it? If we want to opt out and we're moving in that direction, we face a lot of challenges. Uh, One of them we brought up last week, this idea of liberty If we want to live a life which is more unencumbered, that's fine, but we're still part of society. There's still rules that we have to follow. Even if we get off the grid, there are more and more constraints around doing that. There are more and more taxes and requirements that we have to fulfill. So logistically, that becomes difficult. Then if we take it to more of a personal level, uh, there are other people in our lives. And those people might have different views than we have. Uh, They may not have a life practice. Uh, You made an interesting point earlier on as we were talking that getting back to your books and your philosophy is something that really keeps you grounded. So there are times when maybe you feel angry, uh, you feel anxious, you feel like life is attacking you from all sides. But getting back to that foundation, uh, that time-tested doctrine for how to live, for how to take charge of yourself, it really helps navigate any difficulty that's coming up day to day. A lot of us don't have that. And if there are people that we're spending time with, uh, whether it's family, it's friends, uh, romantic partners who don't have that same discipline, then they get into states where it's more like pinball. It's just react, react, react. And you run into one obstacle and then that throws you into some state of emotional chaos. And then that leads to something else and something else and something else. And you're never really stepping back and taking control of your life. And that situation becomes hard to deal with if we're trying to opt out because there's just a certain amount of drama and stress that we can't necessarily get away from. Uh, We talked about language as well. And this one I thought is really interesting. People communicate in different ways. If I say something, it might mean something different to me than it does to you. Uh, We see this a lot today in debates around gender and gender fluidity. And you've got one side which is saying, 
there's no debate. You're either a man or a woman. It's a biological fact. You've got another side which is saying, no, gender isn't about biology. It's about what you feel. So if you're speaking a different language and you mean different things with the same terms, how can you communicate? And if you can't communicate, that also leads to stress and tension. We need some strategies for navigating that. So Z, these are just some of the challenges we face when we're trying to opt out. And we can start the discussion off pretty broadly. I want to hear your thoughts. Maybe you can provide, kick us off by providing some guiding principles for how we think about managing these challenges. How do we really get to that state of opting out? Then one of the the reasons that that over the years I've thought about this is just working with a a number of people from many different backgrounds. And you start to see patterns of behavior. You see patterns of psychosis. Um, You see a pattern of, of disease, miasms, and so forth. And you start to ask yourself, is there a way to unravel this? Is there a un- way to unravel this? these common themes that are undermining us? And that's where the concept of opting out was born. Why do we do the same things that, don't, that, that, that aren't working for others? Why do we do the same thing? Why do we follow the same thing? Why, why, why does McDonald's have 100 billion sold? How do you not be a part of that hundred billion that that maybe they know better and maybe they don't? I'm not sure, but it's not working for you. It's just not working for you. Things that aren't working for you. Um, if we look at statistics, and and I I live that in in this uh, wellness business I have, the level of depression, anxiety, that's a big one. Anxiety to the point where it it deforms your life. And what is causing that? Or you have other um, psychosis and psychic-based physiological uh, issues. The issues you get from stress, the issues you get from anxiety and sleeplessness and, and the health issues you're trying to address. Why is it so hard for us to abandon those things that don't work for us anymore. It's because we don't have a language or narrative to deal with it. We don't, we don't have the words for something else. And if we don't have the words, we can't form an idea of how to get out of it. It's like talking to someone who's in an abusive relationship and they're dealing with a domestic physical abuse. And we always say, just go walk away. And what we've come to find is that those people don't have a picture of another way of living. And oftentimes they are forced out just through the sheer weight of the negative circumstances. And when you're consciously opting out, you're consciously becoming, in a sense, uh, multilinguistic. You have so many ways of framing uh, a picture of life that you're able to come up with strategies and plans that help you move forward. Here's a simple one. As I've said before, and I'll say again, I'm fascinated with the Century Project, extending human life to a high quality for as long as you walk this earth, living healthy into your older years. 
What is the first hurdle I had to overcome in working with people? Is they had a singular idea of what being old was. A single idea of aging. And they could not think outside of that. Well, I'm old. My uncle was old, my dad, mom were old, and this happened to them. Uh, that you know what happens when you get old, right? Those are people in the mentality of folks who have opted in. They're just in there. And for them, there's no other way. They can't imagine being healthy at 40, 50, 60, 80, 90. So the first thing that I had to do was give the people narrative, ideas. And on top of that, I had to reinforce it with proof. I can show you someone your age that isn't falling apart. I can show you someone in your generation who is flourishing. And so you had to go through this whole dog and pony show to get people to first be open to another way of thinking, just like a tourist going to a foreign country and being the, um, that, that bad American demanding that everyone speaks English while they're in Kazakhstan or whatever because they wanted to frame a world that they knew no matter where they go, but the world doesn't work like that. The world is ever-moving, ever-evolving, fluid, dynamic, changing, evolving. So in the Century Project, with, with, with um, this in mind, I've, I, I constantly push people to think about aging and their years in a different way. That one thing is the catalyst of all change. For the rest of us, as we navigate the world in different levels, let's take outside of aging, we, we look at the social climate of the day. Um, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of isolation. And maybe we've been through that before. I don't want to be that old grumpy person that says, oh, way back in my day it was better. It wasn't. It had different challenges. But we also can see and hopefully step back and see what are foundational things that give you better structure, give you um, more grace, gives you more sustainability, longevity. And that gets into the more the science of opting out. They used to have a certain way of building buildings with bricks. And that was the standard way of building a building and no one knew anything else. And then the earthquakes hit. And they realize that you can't build and reinforce building with brick and expect it to withstand a six-point-something earthquake. So they changed the way they build. They had to opt out of the old way of building. And they changed it. And so engineers and all architectural students, after that, after that breakthrough moment and opting out of the old way, they opted into the new way to deal with structures that were uh, seismic, had more seismic tolerances. They could bend and sway. The Japanese mastered it. They built their foundation on actually rolling wheels so that the buildings could move to and fro during an earthquake and there would be less likely of a major or catastrophic collapse during the average to above average earthquake. So I say this to think about our lives. There are things going on around us that bring us great stress, um, 
a lot of uh, unhappiness, a lot of worry. We think about since the early days of Kofifi, when we first talked about it, what's going on with society. Look at what's happened, the decline, the isolation of people, uh, the level of unhappiness. All these things have gone up because most of us opted into this. We saw no other way other than to follow the unseen hand, listen to the news, take cues from those that had no connection to your own life, and you found yourself removed, isolated, fearful. Each, each new uh, genesis of the virus, is, the alarms go off again. Right when you thought they were quieting, they go off again, and, and, and your life is difficult. Is there something you can do about it? Well, if you, if you opt in, there's nothing you can do about it but wait. Wait till the unseen referee tells you, okay, the gate is open. You can get back to life. Or you can opt out, research, study, find your own way, find your own words, find your own ideas about how to manage this. Opting out is not about being a contrarian. It has never been about saying no for the sake of saying no. It has never been about a rebel without a pause nor a cause. It's really taking personal responsibility for where you're at right now. And once you take that responsibility and you make a pact to yourself, then you begin to take action. You read, you study, you counsel with those that can give you the tools, the resources, and the skill set you need to navigate some of this uncharted territory. How do I think for myself? How do I look at aging different? How do I look at the political situation in the world different? How do I look at my interaction with my family different? And I hope that that different means healthier, better, sustainable, fluid. And that's what we're trying to do. We opt out into fluidity. We opt out into a better way of being. We opt out of looking for someone else to guide us. We opt, when, as you opt out, you opt into self-mastery, which is a journey in itself, to elevate your consciousness to, as I was talking with uh, Caitlin and Pretty Tony this morning about high vibration. We want to operate at a higher vibration, not low vibration. We want higher vibration, more options, uh, more elegant ways of getting through all of this. How do you think different? How do you call things as they are? You look for evidence, data. It doesn't take more time out of your life. I found that if you're in conflict with someone who doesn't read a book, doesn't work on their personal philosophy, it's very hard to deal with them because uh, as we were speaking earlier today, Kayla and I would run, you have actually, uh, their brain physiology that deals with higher levels of consciousness. And you must cultivate those. They're not, they don't just grow on their own. We need to challenge ourselves and challenge makes growth, but we live in a society that um, dissuades us 
from challenge or discomfort. It is through pain, discomfort, and challenge that you actually evolve. And when you're managing yourself and trying to keep a clear mind through stressful situations, you become more skillful. I um, was speaking to the Tai Chi class this morning, and I was talking about flow. And I applied that to what we understand from martial arts. That the greatest boxer of all time, Muhammad Ali, in order to defeat George Foreman, he had to take, learn how to deflect blows. And for about a year, he trained with a, a, a boxer that would years later, in his older years, beat him, uh, Larry Holmes. And he had to just let Harry Holmes hit him. And after the pain became so severe that he could barely tolerate it, he learned a way to roll the punches off of his body so that it didn't hurt him. He learned to become so fluent, he called it the rope-a-dope. And when he fought George Foreman, he let him exhaust himself until he couldn't lift his arms, and then he defeated and basically an invincible fighter. We can use that in our life when we think about opting out. When we come in, counter, we, we come in contact or encounter a lot of things that just don't seem right, they don't, as they used to say, they don't pass the smell test. We don't have to accept it. We don't have to go along with it. We can find a way of stealthily or quietly navigating around it, getting away from that, holding on to your values and your views, but not in a rigid, dogmatic way, but in a way that I'd rather evolve. Something here does not fit the equations of physics. And as you'll hear me before, I'll say again, I reinforce that physics is the study of natural phenomena. Nature is the final teacher in our known universe. Follow nature. If you're not following nature, then what are you following? Um, because it is, it is the final teacher. How to flow, how to respond, how to think about situations. I, I think about situations you and I have shared before, Vin, when we have disagreements with our loved ones. And I found that if you go to a philosophy, it has in it a strategy to deal with the primacy of a human being because we have a beast-like nature. We are animals. So we react with our emotions and oftentimes that isn't the best reaction in a environment where there are few predators to lash out at your loved one in different ways. Remember, lashing out isn't always with a loud voice. It could be with, um, it could be with dispassion. It could be with a lack of concern. It could be with busyness. It could be a number of ways you can lash out in addition to yelling, screaming, this sort of thing. Uh, a general disinterest, a sense of not caring. And anybody who's been in any kind of relationship with friends, families, or lover knows what that, that's like. It's a way of lashing out in a feral way. I'm just simply reacting to my emotions. I know that I've trained myself when I get extraordinarily upset, I withdraw. I take a pause. But at some point, that withdrawal has this centripetal energy that builds up a tremendous amount of pressure. So I can either let it out or I, it damages my internal organs. I can get all sorts of digestive issues. 
one of the greatest ways of lashing out to someone is indifference, a denial of their humanity. And these are the same emotions that go with violent outbursts. It's the, same, it's the other side of a violent outburst. So neither one of them are good. In a civilized, higher frequency world, we can have whole healthy discourse, dialogue, and critique and come out the other side better. When you opt out, that's what you do. When you opt out, you, you can tell yourself, I'm going through something today. Maybe I even have a chemical imbalance. Who was that I told her today to go get something to eat? And she finally acknowledged that she was, she needed, right? She needed some nourishment. It was the funniest thing. We had a friend and she was just unable to do like a basic thing, make a phone call. I said, you need to eat. And she finally, right? Yeah, I, I need nurturing. I need nourishment. And if you're an opt-out, you're aware of that. You know that you too have that animal nature and things happen. You get frantic or unstable. And when an animal is frantic and unstable, they lash out in any direction. But that lashing out in a human being leaves a scar. It's a small cut. And if you want to kill a relationship, you want to kill a friendship, you want to lose your job, keep cutting at it. The death by a thousand cuts. Eventually, it's too wounded. So when we opt out, it is for our own benefit so that we can operate at a higher frequency of consciousness. I watch the news and the different media platforms. I always do it with a, with a filter. I always ask myself, what are they trying to sell me? And I'm always fascinated when people quote news stories or they complain about something they heard in the news. They'll complain about Biden or they'll complain about Trump. And I always think about what about the stuff they're not complaining about that, in my mind, are real social issues, environmental issues. Um, I have a big dog in the fight of personal liberty where the intrusions upon personal liberty and the lack of cultivation of personal responsibility and then that mixed in with the myth of freedom. It, it, I have a problem with that. So I listen for those things. I go, hmm, because I want to know what to do. I want to know what's coming up so I can develop a strategy of how to get around it. That's why I listen. I can kind of predict what's coming based on the, the um, density of the chatter of a particular topic. I was walking on the beach the other day, and I had heard uh, the scientists discuss environmental effects, and I can see them. I can actually see them. But if I were to just do a quick survey of topics in the news that are highlighted, and then I look at what's relevant to me, the health of the world that I live in, that my children will know far after my death, is important to me right now. I, I care. Not that I could do much about it, but I do care. I want to be mindful, and if I can do something, um, I, I would like to do something really positive. If I can do nothing, I want to be aware of that. But I, I, just any little thing I can do that makes me feel good, that makes our world better, that's something I like. And so I listen, and it seems like there's very little interest in that. These are things that affect us all. 
the quality of our air, the quality of our water, the quality of our social interactions. If you're a, a person that thinks of themselves as a nationalist or a patriot, do you care about your neighborhood and your country? It, 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 these are all words to most people because if you really listen, they don't. People care about their needs, their issue, their wants, their desires, their side. This is very low frequency. This is opting in. So for those of us who opt out, we want to live a long, healthy life, fruitful life, and die with a smile on our face. But in order to do that, you have to pay the toll, which is taking responsibility for how you engage the world. If you're ravaged with anxiety, you need to study, develop a philosophy, read a book, and practice the techniques of wise people who have overcome the malady. If you are struggling with chronic illness, read a book, sit at the seat or the foot of knowledgeable people, and remedy that disease. But in order to do that, we need an open mind, a suppressed ego, and a willing heart. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, Z, you've made a lot of interesting points. This one about language and narratives, to me when I listen to you, is pretty fundamental. And it's also something that I've experienced, and I've seen it with people who are close to me. We get stuck in these patterns of behavior, as you mentioned early on, uh, like the example of someone who's not able to leave an abusive relationship. They just don't know what to do. And the reason we're stuck, oftentimes it's not a physical restraint. It's a mental restraint. The way that we see the world is so boxed in. I don't know what the right word is. The, the narrative, the ideology, whatever our worldview is, it's confining us and it's keeping us in place. And as long as we hold on to that worldview, as long as we imprison ourselves in that mental structure, we just end up going in circles. It's like the solution is somewhere else. It's outside of that conventional narrative. Uh, you talked about growing old and how a lot of us just believe that we get to a certain point, the body starts breaking down, we accept certain maladies, and that leads to changes in lifestyle. So even if physically we're fine, the fact that we think we're old and we've internalized that idea means that we're working out less, we're taking less of an interest in life, we have less things that we're passionate about, we're with people who are reinforcing that idea, and that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if we want to get away from that, we can't get away from it if we just keep on stepping in within the, same, the confines of the same box. If we keep on revisiting the same ground over and over and saying, okay, there's got to be a solution around this, Yet, in the back of our mind, we just believe that age is going to make us break down. There's no solution. Or you take the relationship example. I've seen this with different people in my life that I'm close to, some of whom have been in toxic relationships. And the underlying idea that they've had is that they have to save the other person. And it's their responsibility. And as long as you have that idea, there's no way to move forward. And the idea, number one, is a false idea. Number two, it actually creates the problem that you're trying to escape. It creates codependency. 
it means that whatever the issues are that the other person has, they become worse because you enable that. But as long as you've got that mindset of this is my responsibility, this is my cross to bear, there's no way out. And you can try whatever you want to do. You can try therapy. You can try more communication. You can try yelling and screaming. It's just not going to happen. I think about myself and some of the narratives that have governed my life. And I got to a point in my life where I felt like I had to make some changes because I was feeling a certain amount of, of pain. I just felt like I wasn't living up to my potential. I, I always felt like I had a lot of potential. I wasn't realizing that potential. I didn't know why. So I did exactly what you described. I started doing some research, started looking for other models, other paradigms that caused our paths to cross. And uh, working with you gave me some clarity. But some of these narratives were embedded, and it's almost like I didn't know they were narratives because they'd become my reality. Uh, things like this whole model minority idea that I have to act a certain way, I have to behave a certain way, I have to appease other people. That programming was so deep that I wasn't even aware there was another option. So I guess it took a bit of a crisis for me, not a full-blown crisis. I mean, fortunately, I wasn't having a total breakdown, but but enough pain where I started on a path that led me to question those ideas and come to a different point of view. And as you're saying, Z, it's interesting listening to you because there's so many ways of looking at the world. There's so many ways of looking at different situations. I think it's impossible to say with any absolute certainty which is right, which is wrong. A lot of it is going to be contextual. A lot is going to depend on who you are, what you care about, what your upbringing is. Even in the best of circumstances, even if there is a clear path forward, we're never going to know it because we're trying to figure all of this out in real time. We have limited information. We have limited time. We can't wait around to get the perfect solution. But the thing that we can do is we can keep on moving forward and we can use a gauge and check in with ourselves and say, okay, if I am experiencing a certain amount of pain, if things aren't working the way that I want, or I'm in a situation that is causing me to feel depressed, it's causing me to feel hopeless, whatever problem it's creating in my life, that's the signal that I need to start looking for a different solution. It's time for me to step out of the box that I'm in and come up with a new perspective, a new narrative, really a new mental framework for how to operate. Uh, there are a lot of different words we can use. There's paradigm, there's algorithm, but I kind of think of the brain, and the brain gets wired in a certain way. When we think the same way over and over, we do the same things over and over that creates connections between neurons. Those connections govern our patterns, they govern our behavior. When we start to step away and break those habits, we can rewire ourselves so we can lead ourselves to a different path, a different way of being. But we need that openness. We need that humility. Uh, so it's a recognition that we don't have all the answers, uh, that uh, there is no absolute. We need a certain amount of comfort with uncertainty, uh, just recognizing that we're never going to know for sure what's right and wrong. Uh, there's always going to be some inherent uh, uncertainty about what the right path is, but the best we can do is stake out what makes sense to us stick with that until we find something better and keep on moving forward in that direction. And along those lines, we need to be able to step back from the crowd. I mean, the second that we seek validation and we look to do the things that other people are doing, that's when we get stuck in these little boxes. And for 
it, for some of us at certain periods in time, it, it might be fine. I mean, maybe the box is working for us and th- there's no need for us to change. But I think that's where the discipline of opting out comes in because if we can do that mental check and we can say, yeah, life isn't going the way that I want. I know I can do better. I know that this doesn't feel right. I, I know that this way of thinking, this way of being is leaving something on the table. That's when we start to step outside and we may not know exactly what what path we're going to take. But again, at least we can move, we can investigate, and we can go forward. So that's kind of how I think about it, Z. And maybe if we put all those principles together, that gives us somewhat of a framework for how to opt out. And I shared a little bit about my story and what worked for me or what motivated me. But I want some more of your thoughts on this because I think of that movie White Tiger, uh, which we've talked about. And White Tiger, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's about a lower caste person in India who becomes a driver for this family, very wealthy family. And it's actually painful to see because the way that he behaves with his family, he's always ingratiating himself. So he's joking with them. He's sucking up to them. He's doing whatever they want. Even though they're abusing him, he's got this big smile on his face. And then he leaves that situation and he can't understand why He's doing the things that he's doing. Why is he going along with this? And he's disgusted with himself. He hates himself for it. But he doesn't know how to get out of it because that program is so deep. That narrative is so ingrained. So, Z, if we go from the theoretical to the very practical and say, okay, we're willing to have an open mind, we're willing to question these narratives and potentially move out of the box we're in, go to a different way of being, a different way of looking at the world. How do we how do we operationalize that when we've been doing something for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, where we may not even know that there's another option that exists? Well one of the that's a good point, Vin, and I think one of the things you know something isn't working when you look at gross metrics of health and well being. Let's say if everything works out and, and, and we, we live 100 years. Say we live 100 years. Let's say 75, 80 of those years, you're extremely, 90 of those years, you're extremely vibrant. What would interfere with that? Would anxiety <clears throat> take you out? With what we know about mental health and brain function, we know that things like anxiety, Stress, insomnia, all these worries, they, they, they rob you of the quality of life. Ask yourself, are you suffering from any of these things? Ask yourself, can you be still? Can you let your mud settle? That's what they ask us in the doubt. That's when you know you're okay, when you can finish your day and be still. Not still because you've crashed. You've exhausted yourself to there's nothing left. But did you find that being peaceful and still with the breath of life is a good thing? Do you find yourself in the company of your loved ones, be it your friends, your children, your lover, your husbands, your wives, your friends, and you want to be there all day, though the responsibilities of life may pull you away, but you ever have that feeling, I, I hope this never ends. I always tell the story, the thing I learned from my my daughter when she was little and we had a great day and 
she was going to bed that night, she said, Daddy, can we always have fun? That's when you know you're okay, from a child's point of view and, and from an adult. You talk about social norms and ideas that they may have worked at a time, but all those things are provisional. They might not work now. As we talk about movies, I was I share with your mom then a movie I, I watched, a Bollywood movie. I'm a big fan of Bollywood movies. And um, I watched a movie called Sir. And it gets into the... It, it, I learned lessons from all of these stories and scripts. Some deep lessons, some lightweight. But this was interesting. It was about a domestic helper, a young widow, who became a, a domestic. In India, the domestics live in the house. They have a little room or closet they live in. and They're, they're at the beck and call of their employer 24-7. She ends up working for a young man. And they slowly fall in love, but they can't address this love. They can't act on this love because of their social positions. He's a businessman and she's a maid. And it's really sad to watch, just like White Tiger. You watch this movie and you see, well, these people love each other, just love each other. And there's, she's saying, no, I'm your maid. People will call me a whore. They'll call me this. They'll call me that. And they can't even begin to act on their love until she leaves, goes somewhere else, takes on another job. Then she can call him by his name. But nobody, there's nobody to answer to that rule. There was no government body that told it. People just accepted that. They opted in. They bought it. They, they said, this is where we're going and, to... And what is the greatest thing you could have is somebody that loves you and likes you and, and wants to be around you. Is there anything better than that? And when I've talked to people, there's nothing better than that except for people who are mentally ill and emotionally vapid. I heard someone say that their career was the biggest thing to them in their life, their, their, the, the, the career pursuit. And I think about some of the people we have here that are in their 70s, 80s, and 90s. And what do I see as the greatest thing they have is people love them. And they have their lover and their friend and the people that look forward to being with them. There's nothing better than that in this life. Regrettably, there's nothing better. Though we create a lot of things in lieu of that. A lot of high-rise buildings have been built because... The energy that that person would have expended on having a lover, they expended on projecting wealth and creating phallic symbols and desires and hopes. So they build really tall buildings with their financial resources. But at the end of the day, the quiet of your own heart. So I watched this movie and I said, wow, that's, that's, that's a really screwed up way of thinking. Because life is short. Even if we get 100 years, it's too short. So for those of us who want to mitigate that suffering, if something isn't right, see if you can write it. If you don't know how, that doesn't mean there isn't a solution. It's mean, it means that possibly you don't like the solution because you're stuck in one alphabet, one range of language. You're monolingual, so you can't word things another way. 
But if you're truly seeking higher vibration, look for the workaround. Look for a way of thinking about things differently. And that's why I love the teaching of the Buddha because it asks us to think about the transiency of human life. Don't be fooled. Don't think you have next month, next year, next week. Right now. And a lot of these things that are getting on our minds, you know, head, you got to sit back and look at it. So, you know, what? I don't want to be a part of this. And all I want to do is within in my little hut, in my little territory, my little place under the sun and the range in which I see, I, I would like that to, I'd like to have fun forever. I'd like to enjoy this as long as I can. Before I'm called to eternity, I want it to be good. And you know, you could do it. I look at relationship problems that we all have, right? You, you and I have discussed this a number of times. And I was talking to my nephews. They're, they're, they're going through different challenges of new babies and, and, and young marriages and stuff. And a lot of it is just the limited, narrow, the limited and narrow vocabulary of the ego. And, and what I've been telling them all, what have I learned? I don't know everything and I don't own the truth, but I do know sometimes you can let go of things that you thought were very dear, points you had to make, views you had to hold, ideas you thought were, were, were the only way. And in exchange, by unburdening yourself with that, you open yourself up to another way of thinking and being. My, my nephew was recently married and recently has a baby. He's 25 years old. And he said, he came over the other day and says, Uncle, I, I, sometime I feel like I can't do what I want to do. I said, hello to adulthood. Hello to fatherhood. Hello to husbandom. Because now you are part of a unit. And it's just like, you can do a number of things. You can have a beautiful relay team, or you can have a miserable frat house roommate. How much do you, are you willing to let go of in exchange for? But again, with the warning, this has to be a collective letting go. Letting go of set, rigid ideas about how things are. A limited alphabet. You may have to go from the 26 letters of the English alphabet to the 50 letters of the Hindu alphabet or the 100 letters of the Chinese alphabet or whatever it is to find the right words to be creative. But if your end goal is to dwell in the, in, 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 in the seat of love, then you got to throw some stuff overboard. But everybody does. Everybody has to let go of things, except the children. They're just following your lead. So when we opt out, I found that we can have healthier bodies. We're not uh, stuck in that idea that for years when I would work with people on health and healthy living, they would ask the question, does it taste good? Does the food taste good? Well, if you've been eating fast food restaurants and, and McJack steaks and all these kinds of things and uh, muffin toughens and all these things that they sell, uh, healthy food won't taste good to you. The frequencies are too high. You're looking for baseline frequencies of fat, salt, sugar. Fat, salt, sugar. So, of course, that doesn't exist in nature. So, it won't have the 
extreme taste. What about, as I was telling my nephew, I said, yeah, well, once you get married and you guys come to a certain agreement, this may very well be your last girlfriend. Are you okay with that? So I told my nephew, this is your last girlfriend. Are you okay with that? He said, Uncle, I never thought about it that way. I said, yeah. You guys got to figure out what your agreement is. Now, if you have some kind of free-flowing relationship, then you, you establish the guidelines and rules that. But if not, she said, oh, my girl would never talk about something like that. I said, well, you got to talk about everything because you're just 25 and you may have 75 more years on this planet. Can you be with one girl for 75 years if that's the agreement you've made? He says, yeah, we need to talk about that. I said, yeah, because different things will mean different things to you at a different point in your life. I think that as you get uh, older, you've taken more trips, you've seen the world more. You're okay with being at home. I think when you're younger, you have places to go, people see things to do. You're still in time of self-discovery. That doesn't mean you can't discover it with your partner. But you need to have that conversation. And that's an uncomfortable conversation. As we're talking about, part of opting out is developing the right narrative, having being multilingual in, in, in many ways, being able to really use language to frame ideas and pictures and be receptive to the disruptive way of communicating. Because most people don't communicate. You know that when you're in relationships, and you know this, Vin, that sometimes it's like walking through a minefield to the point where do you want to cross this minefield or just rather just stay where you're at? And that's when you stop communicating. Because you know if you take a step, something will blow up. And then that blow up will get worse and worse and worse. And that's when you, you've opted into an unhealthy way of interacting. And that's where the books come in that teaches you how to communicate, how to take criticism. I was talking to a fellow once and I realized that as I was talking to this guy, he's a good friend, um, he talks in defensiveness. If he's questioned about anything, he immediately looks for escape and defense. I didn't do that, or this is why it happened. No matter what it is, and even to the point where he'll blame things on his child. Oh, I told, the babe, the, told her to do something and she made a mistake. I didn't do it. And you realize that I can't talk to this person about certain things. You start setting up the warning signs of the minefield as you cross this path. And then what happens is it becomes less and less pleasant to be around that person that has a mind, even if they're nice people, because they've opted in to the limiting narrative of communication that I must defend, defend, defend. No matter what's said, I must defend, defend, defend. And so I, I found that there's a limit to what we can talk about. Especially, and there's no, <clears throat> there's no opportunity for real critique, and real critique opens you up to real intimacy. When you can share your your wondering or your uncertainty with another person, it opens you up to real. And let me, I, I want to understand you, or maybe you made a mistake, or or you did something that that didn't sit well with me. I want to know, and they'll say, "Well, I, oh." Oh my God, I didn't mean to hurt you. Explain to me what you mean and I, I will know more about you. <clears throat> you see how that works? So those are opt-outs. Opt-outs talk like that. Opt-outs really value friendships and relationships. 
because human commerce is some of the greatest commerce we could ever have. It's as good, if not better, than money. A, a, a deep relationship can do more for you than a, a pound of gold. When somebody really has your back through thick and thin, through hook or crook, it is just a beautiful relationship that can't be bought or sold in the way that we buy and sell things nowadays. But it takes an initial investment of the rawness of you where you can sit there and talk about it. And you feel good. At the end of the day, you know I'm better. They gave me some guidance and I'm better. That's an opt-out. You follow me, Ben? Yeah, see, as we're talking, it really makes me think about ego. Because if you look at what keeps people in place, sometimes it might be a lack of knowledge. But then, of course, you could always acquire that knowledge, find models that have worked for people. But that ego, that defensiveness, that clinging to existing ways of doing things is probably the one factor that damages us more than anything else. And I see it. I see it. I've seen it in myself at times. I see it when people are just so invested in a particular way of being. It becomes who they are. And then the ego jumps in and creates all these stories to defend it. So it's not just that I'm not going to let go. I'm going to come up with a hundred reasons why I'm right, or this is the way that things must be, or some narrative or some drama. So yeah, you know what? I'm not advancing in my life. I'm not finding the right partner, but people just can't appreciate me. Or for example, you got the the incels, <laughs> which is, I think, one of the most ridiculous groups, the involuntary celibates, who have come up with this whole idea that they don't look like Chad. So Chad is some idealized man who's got a strong jawline and looks a certain way, and because they don't look exactly like that person, they're consigned to a sexless existence. <laughs> and then these people will go and they'll get plastic surgery and they'll get exactly the look that they want. And guess what? They find out that they're still losers because they have no confidence. They're still insecure. Uh, and it doesn't fix the problem. But it's just an example of sticking to some false idea because you're so invested in it. Your way of thinking, your way of being becomes you. And that, to me, is a fundamental mistake that we make in so many different ways, whether we measure ourselves by our achievements, our titles, the way that we think that other people perceive us, even though we don't even know how they really perceive us. But we put on a certain mask, a certain affect, because we want to be known in a certain way. Uh, we want to be seen as successful or, or funny or charming or, or whatever it is. And that just becomes very limiting. Uh, so we are in these tight spaces. We're unwilling to step out of it. Not only are we unwilling to step out of it, but because we're defensive, we've convinced ourselves that this is the only way that it can be that this is the hand that we've been dealt, this is our fate, this is our drama, this is our cross to bear. Sometimes it, get wor it gets worse than that. Our entire purpose comes from living out these insane dramas that we create in our mind. Like other people just don't appreciate me or I'm just undervalued or it's my fate to be the one who does the most work and gets the least recognition. 
And this is how we see ourselves. And it's crazy when you step back and you actually consider that entire mental machinery. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. It's extremely limiting. But unless we have sufficient awareness, we never step out of it. So I'll just add one thing to what you said, Z, because I think this prescription of being fluid, of trying out different mental models until we find the one that works is the right way to go. But let's just be careful about that ego. Let's check that ego and let's really check our attachment to the way that we've done things in the past or the way that we think other people are going to perceive us because that attachment is what keeps us frozen in place. I'm smiling and kind of trying to keep from laughing, Vin, because you were talking about this whole concept of the incel movement and, and their, I guess, their anti-archetype or whatever, Chad. I've never heard of this. I've heard of these incel people. Um, I've never thought much about it, but I start thinking about as you said, the ego, we always are struggling with the ego. And it can be, uh, it's typically a foe. But even a foe can be a friend in a sense, if you can manipulate it accordingly. I, I've always told you the story of Al Clark, a guy I grew up with named Al Clark, who just had just uh, poor hygiene. It's kind of a crude guy, but he always dated the most beautiful women. And Al just had an ego that didn't really attach itself to what other people thought. I think he was probably one of the first, in a way, using opt-out techniques. And he would just approach people just the way he was. And it was something, I guess, about the purity of that that got him where he wanted to go. And as I'm smiling, listening to you talking about that, trying to keep from laughing, because I don't want them, those people to come around and track us down and bomb us or swat us or anything like that. Um, and if any of you guys are, are listening out there, uh, tough shit. But I think about life and what are issues to different people. You know, I remember there was a time where, where, where a lot of people were getting into this body dysmorphic disorder where they were they, uh, uh, vomiting their food up so they could be skinny like somebody. Or I remember I knew someone uh, who used to slash their wrists because they were so uh, numb emotionally, spiritually, that that would bring them in their body, inflicting pain on themselves. And that's the ego diseased and running amok. But I also think about people like Al Clark or, or like my brother. My, my older brother um, was loved by many women. He was just, it was, he was an embarrassing lover of women. Women loved him to the point where we would just sit around and just wonder, how do you do it? My brother was all of, on his best days with his shoes on, he was maybe five, six. Uh, well-built, muscular guy, amazing dancer, musician, drummer, and linguist. But he could connect in a way that he was basically the Hugh Hefner of the Congo, if that's a good analogy, I don't know. But he was loved. It, it was embarrassing for his wife, even at his funeral, it was embarrassing because he was so loved by women. And he just, he never saw himself as anything but himself. And, and I just smiled because that's the opposite of these guys who are comparing themselves to another guy and then projecting the idea that this is the standard of male attractiveness. And someone asked me one time, a woman asked me, she said, you don't seem to be jealous. And I really thought about what she was saying. And I, I, I said, maybe this just wasn't the language I was taught by my brother and men in my family. They'd always say that you go to an ice cream store and the vanilla isn't mad at the strawberry because you pick it. 
The strawberry isn't mad at the mango chocolate swirl because you picked it. Everybody has a different taste. Go with people that like you and find you attractive and fun. There's enough room for everybody. When you opt out, you understand that, right, Caitlin? It's like... Choose people who choose you. Yeah, and then choose them. You know, just hang out with your your flavors. And, and, and this is why that's a curious thing, and it's a good example of an opt-out way of thinking, because there are really toxic emotions you just don't have. I, 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 I've seen people who go on into jealous rages, and it, to me it's the weirdest and most unhealthy thing in the world. I understand if a person feels betrayed or misled or deceived. I can understand that. But not having envy and jealousy of another because they're not that person or whatever. Um, different people have different skill sets. I've met great athletes in different, um, different sports disciplines. And <clears throat> they admired what I did and I admired what they did. It's just a beautiful feeling. I used to have a world champion boxer who was just a wonderful person who used to come and train. And I was never in his category of boxing or anything, but he would come here because he admired what I did. And I admired what his accomplishments were. And we became very good friends. And I have a lot of people. I have friends that are, are actors. I can't act. But they can't do what I do, and I can't do what they do. But we admire each other. It's the mutual admiration society. When you opt out, you're part of, you can join a mutual admiration society. Isn't that beautiful? So I like what you said, Ben. It just triggered that thought, these See, when you opt in, you get into this kind of incel thing or whatever the female equivalent of that, <clears throat> the, 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 the cancel movement or whatever you're in, the, the horde of don't go to comedy people or, or whatever weirdo things are going on. When you opt out, you're just not a part of that kind of stuff. You can live and let live, be and let be. You know, accept truly uh, pro-choice in a sense, right? So that those are my thoughts, Vin. And I hope that everybody listening to us will subscribe to our media channel. Uh, we're developing this. We're working on this. We're advancing it. More and more people are reaching out to us. And if you have a topic, a discussion, or commentary, or you'd like to hear more, feel free to check us out at where, Caitlin? DharmaMedia.com. DharmaMedia.com. Yeah, yeah, great. I'll just wrap it up and say, let's be like the Al Clarks, uh, not the incels. But if you are an incel, you're still welcome to subscribe. I'm still happy to have you. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.